words on water. This episode is brought to you by Atlas Copco Compressors. Atlas Copco innovates in all aspects of compressed air and gas production. Their promise is to do more. The company offers seven different blower and aeration technologies for wastewater treatment. Having a complete range means that the blower technology the company selects will be the most efficient product for the application over the cost of its lifetime. Atlas Copco specializes in finding ways to make your wastewater process more efficient. Find out more at atlascopco.com forward slash blowers hyphen USA. Welcome to Words on Water, a podcast of the Water Environment Federation. This is the host, Travis Loop. Joined by Paul Peterson, he is Municipal Sales Manager from Atlas Copco, and we're going to talk about what is new with aeration blowers. Paul, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Travis. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, I am, you know, we were talking before, and I was saying I'm a communications guy. I'm not a technical expert, um, but I know that technology and engineering is is always changing, and that's having effect on equipment and everything else that goes on. And I'm sure that aeration blowers are uh, part of that. So I'm really looking forward to learning from you today. Um, for folks that are maybe really brand new, could you just kind of explain what aeration blowers are and what their role is in water treatment? Yeah, definitely. So blowers are typically the largest single energy consumer in a wastewater treatment plant. And that's because we provide the air to the biological and chemical processes um, for aeration. So the actual bugs digesting the waste and spitting out clean water, they need air to stay alive. And that's what we do. And on the water side, uh, typically we're there to provide some air scour to make sure that the filtration uh, is staying clean on the water treatment side of the process. Gotcha. Thank you very much. Um, so I know there's a lot of different areas with aeration blowers. We're going to talk about the trends and what's happening. Um, let's start with, you know, everybody's favorite here, maintenance. <laughs> you got to take care of equipment, right? Uh, so what's going on on that front? Yeah, it's funny you should mention that. I was actually golfing with a, a chief operator in, uh, in Missouri last week, and he said, I don't really care anything about the blower, except I want to touch it as little as possible. So <laughs> that tells you maintenance is front and center on everyone's mind. Because um, that's, that's time and money, right? I mean, when, you, when you've got to do maintenance. That's just it. You know, and there's been lots of innovations the past uh, 10 years in particular when it comes to maintenance in the blower industry. And some of those things have been really simple innovations like drive types. So the industry standard for a long time has been either direct drive or belt drive. Uh, it's direct drive, it's great, but you're generally limited by the speed of the motor, either 1800 RPM or 3600. Even with a VFD, you've got sort of a limited operating range. That's why 
people use belt drives so you can increase or decrease the speed of the blower relative to the motor. Uh, the problem with belts is they need to be replaced every six months to a year. As they start to wear out, they start to use more energy. And of course, there's always a risk of breakage. And then with that risk of misalignment. Um, so what we're seeing more now is more use of speed increasing gearbox drives. So you've always got uh, a fixed gear ratio. There's never any risk of slippage. There's never any replacement or maintenance like there is with a belt. A little bit more upfront cost, but again, it significantly reduces the maintenance over the life of the equipment. Hmm. Then there's, along with that, when you've got a gearbox, the one drawback is you need to uh, lubricate that gearbox with more oil. Um, but a lot of manufacturers, uh, there's a few of us out there who use these gearboxes, and we also used forced oil lubrication. So back 40 years ago, everything came with packed grease lubrication, hmm. which was fine because we were spinning at those slower 1800 RPM speeds. Uh, but as the blowers start to get faster and more efficient, uh, grease can't handle those higher operating speeds. It'll shear and it won't actually lubricate. So we went to splash oil lubrication. But again, the faster you get, there's a risk of shearing and not enough oil uh, lubrication at these higher RPMs which more efficient equipment tend to operate at. So with these gearbox drives, we're able to actually put a gear operated pump or a shaft driven oil pump. So whenever the gearbox or the blower is spinning, it's pumping oil and we're lubricating the gearbox and we're lubricating the blowers. And then you're able to filter and cool that oil. So now it's just like your car. You know, you remember uh, 30 years ago, it was like every 3,000 miles you needed an oil change. Right. Now it's every 7,500 or 15,000. Uh, same thing with blowers. It used to be about every six months or 4,000 hours you'd have to do an oil change uh, with a grease bearing or splash lube bearing. Now with the force lube, we're up to 16,000 hours, which is two years of operation at continuous duty before you need to change your oil. Hmm. That's so funny. I, I did get a, a, a newer car myself and they said, yep, just come every 10,000 miles for the oil and filter change. Like, you sure? They're like, yes, we are. <laughs> so, yeah. And yeah. it's also the fact that uh, the quality of oils, you know, we used to be using more petroleum based. Now it's largely synthetic oils, which give you that longer life as well. Hmm. Uh, another area that I'm curious about is, is VSD and VFD. So those are really, you know, two synonyms. Um, on the equipment side, we say a blower is a VSD blower when it has a VFD. So a VFD is a variable frequency drive, which is used to vary the speed of your drivetrain. So sort of synonymous, um, not necessarily the exact same thing. But one of the tr trends we've seen over the past, I guess, 15 years probably and it really started with the advent of the high-speed turbo blower in the early 2000s, where the VFD was always in the box. And these use high switching frequency VFDs. So they spin these permanent magnet motors up to, you know, 30 to 50,000 RPM without the use of belts or, or gearboxes. The motor itself is spinning up to like 500 hertz. So you had to keep the wiring short so the VFD is always in the box. And that sort of led to an industry acceptance of, okay, we know this works. We've had these operating in plants for years, and 
it's a lot easier to install a control system that came from the factory. So even on your load blowers and your rotary screw blowers, things are that are higher speed, you know, operating at 60, 70 hertz, you know, down to 20 hertz, normal frequency ranges. It's still a lot easier to buy the whole package from the blower manufacturer. So the controls are factory wired. They're factory programmed. The only thing you have to do if you're an installing contractor or a plant putting in a new blower is just connect a single point of three phase power into the blower uh, enclosure. And then you have the ability to make air without any additional tie-ins. There's less field wiring and programming for contractors and integrators. And so it's really cut down on the time to commissioning. And because the blower manufacturers are doing the programming, we're able to um, get closer to the boundaries, the true working area boundaries of the equipment when we have control of it. And so you're seeing increased efficiency and larger working areas because of that. Mm. Yeah, and that, that efficiency is, that's gonna help with energy and, and the cost there too, is that right? Yeah, that's right. And so a lot of the times when you had a VFD provided by others in the past, you'd get about 50% turndown, meaning a thousand CFM blower would turn down to roughly 500 CFM. And then the controls integrator would just say, okay, your range is 30 to 60 Hertz. Well, as the manufacturer, we know that in actuality, we can get down to, you know, 20 Hertz. Mm. And we know that when it's a little bit warmer out, Hmm. that maybe we have to bump that minimum speed up since it's running hotter. So by being able to monitor all the sensors in the box in our local controllers, we can adjust the speed range of the machine, giving you the maximum amount of control over your process. And by being able to turn down that extra 5 to 10% in speed, you're able to get 5, 10, maybe even 20% additional energy savings at that lower operating speed. That's that's huge. Well, you you hit on kind of the next area I want to talk about, and that's you know connectivity, huge in our, in our increasingly digital world, right? So what's going on with uh, those controllers and remote monitoring, which is just you know sweeping across the water sector in so many different ways right now? Yeah, absolutely, and it's following trends we've seen since the mid '90s in the industrial world too. Um, in remote monitoring and data. It's all about the data, right? Um, better data drives better decisions, gives you better control of your process. So for plants that are unmanned or even while operators are asleep in their beds at night, what happens if a blower goes down? If all of a sudden your aeration basin stops receiving air, you have a chance to go anoxic. You can kill all the bugs in your tank it's extremely expensive. It takes days to get your plant back up, sometimes weeks. You're facing huge fines for violating your discharge limits from the EPA or DNR. So remote monitoring is critical when there's no one at the plant. And there are a lot of services now on blowers where, again, if you're getting these factory control options, um, you can get a text message if you're at home asleep in the middle of the night and your blower gets a fault and shuts off. And it says, oh, yeah, I shut down on overpressure or high temperature, whatever it may be. And you can either run back to the plant or know, okay, I've got a backup. I'm fine. Or no, I don't. I better get someone close to the plant to get back in there. 
So it allows you to maintain better control of your process. Um, you get better reliability. Another thing that's really neat is using the internet of things, right? The industry 4.0, you're able to gather all the information from the machine and trend it over time. You know, you've had SCADA in wastewater and water uh, for a lot of years, but typically it's real time monitoring and only certain key values are really stored and trended. Uh, Now with the blowers and the blower controllers, you're able to trend all of the data for those blowers. For example, you can sense uh, bearing wear and see that when the bearings are getting louder, higher decibels, that there's a threshold limit where you need to replace it. And so you can proactively replace equipment or repair it before it fails. So you're not looking at any unplanned downtime. Hmm. You can also trend the pressure of your blowers over time. Now, typically blowers are providing air. We care about the flow, but if you see pressures rising over time, well, that's typically an indicator that the diffusers or your process equipment is fouling and getting dirty and diffusers require regular maintenance as well. So if you see that pressure trending upwards over time and it's starting to get a half a PSI or a PSI higher than it was a year or two ago, that's a good indication that it's time to take your tanks down and clean your diffuser membranes or replace them. And then finally, with that additional connectivity, it allows us manufacturers to have visibility as well. And as we revisit our topic of maintenance from a minute ago, uh, manufacturers for blowers are now doing the same thing they've done uh, on compressors for decades. And that's all for service plans where we can maintain, repair, and upgrade your equipment uh, if you've got uh, low staff um, numbers. You know, plants are running leaner and meaner. They don't have as many people, so sometimes they outsource the maintenance. Well, if you've got your machine remotely monitored and you're on a service plan, a technician can actually show up at your plant before you're even aware there's an issue. So I know with us, we see that, okay, your blower's coming up on 8,000 hours. It's time for your annual maintenance. Change your uh, air filters and do an inspection. When we get the notification from the machine that you're at you know, 7,500 hours, we'll proactively reach out to you and say, hey, you're due for maintenance in about 500 running hours. When's a good day for us to come by? Mm, that's awesome. That is so helpful to have somebody else keeping track of that for you. Uh, getting into design a little bit here canopy design so like i said you know we're all everything engineering is always evolving here so what's going on on this front you know it's funny because it wasn't until uh really the 80s that osha imposed these noise limits on equipment and Mm. back then on a pd blower it's like okay you need to make it quieter you put a clamshell on it and it was literally that like a fiberglass or plastic uh, frp shell that you just literally slipped over the top or it was two halves that came together with like a hinge. There was no ventilation. There was no, you know, no engineering behind it. It fit over the top and it knocked the noise level down a little bit. And we've certainly come a long way from that. Uh, If you think back to our conversation about VFDs and having those integrated in the enclosure, well, that obviously means that we've got to engineer uh, this enclosure to keep the VFD cool and away from the heat of the blower and motor, right? So there's a lot of engineering that goes into that to separate the airstreams, make sure that that the controls stay cool and can operate reliably because heat is ultimately the enemy of rotating equipment. 
And then there's other things that can be done where if you're putting a blower with an integrated VFD outside, okay, now in winter, maybe we need to use that heat. You can put an automated louver on a thermostat to close the hot air exhaust, trap the heat in the enclosure to keep you operating even when it's really cold outside. One of the things that we've seen increasingly common across manufacturers with canopy design is a common hot air exhaust. So as you're bringing in air to cool this rotating equipment and these controls, you need to send that heat somewhere. Well, if you're just dumping it into the room, then your blower room is getting very, very hot in summer. It's going to be unbearable to operate, and the equipment doesn't like being hot either. With a common discharge exhaust, you can duct all that heat out of the room to keep the blower room cool in summer. So if you've got an HVAC system, you reduce your cooling load, reducing your energy costs in summer. And then in winter, you can have a louver, either manual or automated on that duct. So in winter, you can open that louver and dump all that heat back into the room. Again, you're reducing the heating load in winter, saving you more energy. Mm. So there's lots of little nifty things uh, that have happened the past 10, 20 years with enclosure design. It's no longer just a clamshell, <laughs> as they used to call it. Yeah, incredible. I mean, all these evolutions just uh, just stacked on top of each other. Uh, you, I think this is somewhat related here on the, on the air filtration. How has that changed? Um, it's come a long way. Just filtration in general. We've seen it on the water side as well with all these new technologies, MBRs, and then different versions and microfiltration for water and different material sciences really coming into this industry and making a huge impact. And when it comes to air filtration, it's really no different. We're now able to take just in the past 10 years, the same size filter, it looks the same to the untrained eye, um, but it's higher efficiency. So you get finer filtration. So instead of a 10 micron particle getting in there, which is larger, you get a one micron particle, which means you're protecting your equipment better. You're not allowing as large of particles to get in there and potentially damage your equipment. But we're also able to extend the service life because typically if you've got a finer filter, that filter cartridge is going to get gummed up faster and you're going to get a high pressure rise, which means higher power consumed, which means you have to change it more often. But by essentially changing the geometry and, you know, if you think of, again, like the filters in your car, it's typically a pleated paper filter, right? There's a certain number of pleats. Well, you should make those pleats wider or deeper. You've essentially doubled the size of the filter without changing the cartridge that it fits in. So we're able to change the number of pleats and the, the uh, porosity of the media to capture finer filters with lower pressure drop and extend the service intervals from, again, like about a six-month, 4,000-hour interval to 8,000 hours or sometimes more. So you're only changing air filters every year, and you're consuming less power when you do it. Back 10 years ago, a lot of people were still using uh, non-woven um, non spun melt, uh, like polyester elements, and they they were dirty. They'd take them out and wash it with a hose. But thanks to the Internet of Things and what we've learned from some of the sensor trending and the data we have, we've learned that 
okay, you go clean that filter off with a hose and put it back in, it's now got a higher pressure drop, even now that it's quote unquote cleaned. And the amount of energy that a blower uses over the course of one month from a dirty filter will typically pay for the price of a brand new filter. So what we've learned, thanks to this data, is that it's actually cheaper to just replace your filters every time you need it. So gone are the days of washing filters. We've got better filters now that are more efficient and, and mm. longer service intervals. Yeah. Well, the last area I wanted to ask you about certainly uh, overlaps all these different aspects you've talked about uh, and, and almost takes us back to the first topic about maintenance. Um, reliability, um, you know, even as these become more engineered and sophisticated and complicated, if you will, there's, there's those reliability issues. So what's, what's going on with reliability? What goes wrong and, and how can, you know, reliability issues or problems be avoided? Well, I mean, that's a great point. I think <laughs> you said it best when everything we've sort of talked about all ultimately relates to reliability. Mm. And really, if a blower is efficient, that's good. If it's low maintenance, that's good. But if it doesn't work and it's constantly shutting down and you're having problems and you're not able to be hands off and you've got to worry about taking care of your blower all the time, it doesn't matter how much maintenance it takes or how efficient it is. It's going to be a royal pain for you. It's got to be reliable. Um, and so things like those longer intervals between oil changes and filter changes, certainly getting a service plan or remote monitoring plan from the manufacturer, those obviously help with reliability, right? You don't have to do as much maintenance to these things. So it's easier to remember to do. And if you've got someone helping you remember or scheduling it for you, the machine's more likely to be maintained, which obviously increases the reliability. But there's also newer technologies out there that are inherently more reliable. I'll give you an example. Uh, obviously, oil changes every two years as opposed to every six months. That's great. But what if you never had to change oil? There are blowers out there, turbo blowers, that use non-contact bearings. And about 15 years ago, uh, the one that came to the U.S. from Korea was the airfoil bearing technology, and it was low cost and it was high efficiency. But what we've learned from this data is that they tend to have a problem with reliability. The bearings need to be replaced by the nature of design. But we've had coming from Europe since the late 90s, early 2000s as well, slightly more expensive magnetic bearing technology. And we have magnetic bearing turbo blowers that have been operating for uh, 17 years now that have never once had to have an oil change because there's no oil. They've never had to have a replacement bearing and they've never had a blower or motor replacement because that magnetic bearing technology is so robust that it is the most reliable technology there is. Wow. Paul, I am... Uh exponentially more educated on blowers now than I was before this conversation. I imagine many in our audience are as well. Uh, very valuable for me. I, I appreciate the information and your time so much. Well, I definitely appreciate you for having us here. Uh, it's been a real pleasure, and I hope that the rest of the audience uh, learned a thing or two as well.
words on water. <laughs>